Welcome to Talking Kotlin. On this episode, I'm sitting down again with Roman Elizarov discussing some of the things happening in the ecosystem around libraries and multi-platform support. Hi, Roman, and welcome back. Uh, hello, welcome everybody. So you are actually, I think, the second guest that's been back on the show. So there you go. Okay, thanks. A, um, a co achievement unlocked. <laughs> I'm, I'm giving out these different achievements, I guess. So how have you been? Uh, I'm, I'm doing well. I mean, we're quite busy here at working on content libraries. That's for sure. Yeah. And I mean, this was this is like, you know, it's only been about two months after uh, Kotlin Conf uh, or even less. I can't even remember now. And, um, and you know, we made a, a bunch of kind of announcements there. And you and I were speaking about maybe kind of giving a an update on the state of the ecosystem in regard to the libraries, because you know I, I've been traveling around and I've been in Asia for the past uh, month or so, and a lot of people keep asking me the same questions over and over again. So, and I'm like, despite blog posts and despite announcements, maybe we should talk about it on Kotlin Conf. Uh, sorry, on Talking Kotlin as well. Uh, so here we are. So in terms of the actual uh, libraries, I know that you've been working on a whole bunch of stuff. What is, what is the latest that you've been focusing on? So right now, uh, we've first of all, we've released coroutines that we've been working before. So now we're, of course, maintaining coroutines. And, you know, with release, now there's more people, more attention, and they report, like, all those weird corner cases, like, if we do this and this, it doesn't work, or stuff like that. So, of course, we'll be fixing all the issues that people discovered in, in the new features that's given, also cater. I mean, everything that's released, of course, getting attention, you know, to fix it, to support, you know, getting feedback, processing. So that's part of our work, and that's important part, uh, maintaining the stuff that we've already released. But we also want to uh, both finish other things we're working on and, uh, you know, bring some new cool stuff. So among the, the biggest chunk of the other things we've been working on is, of course, serialization, which was is experimental now it's like really really like it's it's like 0.x real s basically like early preview and still even though we're getting lots of interest you know people asking uh people with use cases why they need it and and obviously of course the con we concentrate on multi-platform use case because you know uh, no secret in uh java world or in android world uh, there's no shortage of great libraries. I mean, uh, there's not much we can add there. Uh, I mean, we can something, but not much, I'd say, because, you know, uh, GBM libraries ecosystem is great, filled with lots of useful stuff. But for multi-platform, that's like if you're sharing code between Android, iOS, or between backend and frontend, that's where you won't find many libraries. It's still an early stage of growing. And so our goal is to help grow this ecosystem and civilization being technically hard because it has to, you know, uh, has to be a compiler plugin because of various technical issues. That's something we're doing. And so that's big chunk of work that we plan uh, to be finishing uh, in the near future. And that's what we like, spend lots of effort on now, like cleaning up design, you know, uh, working through use cases, implementing missing features, working on performance, stuff like that. And this brings like all the input output. I mean, lots of people notice that like Kotlin standard library doesn't really have anything to work with files, to work with sockets, uh, nothing like we have GVM primitives on GVM, but there's no cross-platform primitives that you can use across 
multi-platform it would be like really uh, cost specific so that's also and that's also again this that's kind of you know you need it for civilization like if you CLI stuff where you CLI it what output you write how do you send it over network that that's also something we work on so it feels like i have a lot of work on in all different areas and and i want to actually take take it a little bit piece by piece and Going back to, of course, one of the big announcements, which was around coroutines released, right? We've now released coroutines. And for those of us that were using coroutines before the release, we had the whole aspect of the experimental um, and, the, and the experimental packages. And, you know, you and I were having this discussion at times regarding whether naming something experimental uh, was the right choice, especially given that you're saying that now people are using it and they're giving you edge cases, corner cases. Looking back in retrospect, would you do anything differently in how you released coroutines and, and naming things experimental and the packages experimental? Because I, I do believe that now we've introduced some other things in, in Kotlin in terms of uh, experimental APIs, right? Yeah, so I mean that was a tough decision that, that we did back in 1.1, uh, the whole experimental package. But it was necessarily one I see. Uh, I mean, there's multiple reasons. First of all, the coroutines as a language feature was a big one. It uh, touched uh, lots of places in compiler. It uh, added new API to the standard library, and this API was not isolated. It's not just this, you know, one function that you would. Uh, that you would use somewhere. And that's easy just to market experimental, play with it, and then decide what to do with it. But for coroutines, like for example, the whole like set of interfaces, continuation, etc., they uh, they like everywhere. So they like this core infrastructure that uh, permits everything you do with coroutines uh, in the bottom layers. So we basically had no choice if we. Uh, if we included it in uh, like actual Kotlin coroutines package back there uh, without all this experimental package stuff, then we would have no choice but to keep that uh, design, which wasn't proven. And I'd say releasing it experimental, letting community play with it, uh, was uh, instrumental uh, to actually discovering uh, how people use it, discovering uh, various use cases. Even though uh, we still have bugs in implementation, corner cases, they're not design corner cases. It's not like we've fundamentally missed something in API. It's like here and here, you know, something is not working as expected, stuff like that. Uh, but getting all the use cases, that's like we couldn't have done that ourselves without the help of community. And community helped us a lot. Like, man, that's, um, I should be part of like huge chunk of success of coroutines to the great community that gathered around them, started playing with them, you know, using their projects and, you know, telling us like what work, what doesn't work, what other what problems they see, what, you know, and et cetera. And that helped us improve the API and got the feel of where to, to go. And one of the changes, of course, that you introduced was the concept of structured concurrency, right? Yeah, that, that was, that was kind of, uh, that also worked out gradually. I mean, we initially, when we started doing coroutines, so we looked around and uh, we looked how it's implemented elsewhere in Python, in Go, in other languages, uh, threads in Java, you know, async uh, await in C sharp and JavaScript and everything. And and we basically modeled after that. So we've, you, we took 
some of the failures of other approaches, fixed them. Uh, we took some successful things, kept them. But 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 generally, I mean, our initial model was like everywhere else. You have some asynchronous piece of work to do. You just launch a, a grand task and do it. But then, you know, when we started, it's actually something we discovered ourselves, interestingly, because we, we've written lots of tests and examples over those years. And it's, again, having released the experiment helped us because we've, uh, you know, uh, did a virus talks, you know, help people how to use it. And so we always saw this pattern uh, that, uh, so, for example, when you want to do something concurrently, in turns out it's not easy to do correctly without leaking resources. And we've discovered this not, not immediately. It wasn't immediately obvious to us that that's a problem. And so it's kind of turned into a code pattern that you have to use, like, uh, create child routines, and it was 10 years. You have to always remember about it, and you forget to do it. To do it, your code works, but it doesn't work the right way. It leaks resources on a, on virus errors. And and that's kind of, that's kind of like, over time, it, clearly became visible that there is a problem in design, that something has to fundamentally change. And then, so we've got this idea that we have to uh, always launch child curtains by default. That has to be default because that's the right way to do it. Like when you want to do something globally, that you have to be explicit about, but ch child curtains has to be a default. So we've figured out that that should be default. And then we stumbled on, onto this paper from Python world, uh, that basically slaps a name to this concept and the name is a structured concurrency we oh good the name fits perfectly so let's let's also use the name structured concurrency for this and that's how it went by this name and what's been the feedback on this new approach are people generally happier i mean have all of those um you know because i remember that there was a list of uh design patterns, so to speak, that you were you would that you're just talking about that you recommended that people would have to follow um, to to manage resources. So it has the reception been better with this approach? The the, the feedback was mixed uh, and it really depended on what people did. So see, um, uh, and it's actually uh, to understand why feedback is mixed, you have to go back again, uh, two years back before we had any structured concurrency. And uh, you see, before we introduced carotins, most programmers uh, uh, that were programming Kotlin were only aware about future-based partners. I mean, whether you programmed in Scala, whether you programmed in C-sharp uh, or JavaScript, all you learned was this async await, that you run async tasks that return futures and have to await. And people kind of, you know, that's basically the only thing they knew. Uh, and uh, the only feedback we were getting was great in the sense that people people started using curtains initially as this async await things writing async await everywhere but then they gradually discovered that they don't have to do it they just can use suspend functions and the code becomes simpler uh, more readable uh, nicer looking and we got this like two years ago we got this great feedback from our early adopters or uh, god like i've removed the, this the late like the last future type I had in my code base and the code is so much easier and better now without any mention of any future types so that was kind of feedback we had back then and those people who learned how to program without futures they are very positive about structured concurrency because with structured concurrency it becomes even easier because like when you do 
concurrent things you don't have to remember about children, etc., etc. But here's another problem. Why feedback is mixed? Because there's another group of people. Uh, there's still a lot of people that that only get exposed to proteins in their first experience. They never saw them before. Again, the only thing they saw before are futures, those are sinks and weights uh, that you have to slap all around your code. Uh, and they, when they come to more encouragements with structured concurrency, and when they start using sink and weight, it doesn't work with structured concurrency. It doesn't work the way they used to it, and they get confused. And that's the mixed feedback. So again, when they learn that they don't need a sync weight at all, they should write their code without it. It all becomes, it all clicks to them. But this initial experience, you know, when they start start writing in their old style and just doesn't work the way they used to be, that's kind of um, that makes them ask a lot of questions over you know Stack Overflow or come to issues, and uh, that's something we'll, we'll, we'll I mean we still not know like exactly what to do about. It. We're trying to do more education, more guidelines, more inspections to help people out. But that's that's a problem we are aware of, and we'll thinking hard how to make it easier for those very new people to this concept to understand it. So one of the promises that you know was mentioned when introducing coroutines to people is that you don't have to really learn a new set of APIs or a new way of uh, thinking or a new paradigm in, in how you deal with uh, a synchronous code. Do you feel that over the, the years since the time you know you started working on coroutines, this promise has been kept? or Because I, I have seen a few comments here and there kind of like reflecting upon this saying, oh, now I've got to learn three different things or four different things around how to deal with coroutines in Kotlin? Uh, it, it's hard to tell. So, I mean, uh, again, the feedback on easy offering is different. Some people say, oh, it was so great. I mean, immediately uh, worked out and my code is so nice. Other people say, oh, I, this is very hard new concept. I can't figure out it doesn't click. And frankly, I have not yet uh, exactly nailed down why uh, one some people are like that, others the other way. But I think I have a, a small clue. The clue I have is this: uh, if a person has prior experience writing async APIs uh, using callbacks, preferably, like if, but basically, if a person worked with callback-based API, for example, in Android, there are lots of callback-based API, or he did some enterprise stuff and relied on callback-based APIs to do asynchrony. These people usually, because they they or they were taught asynchronous programming in university and they had this nice course, you know, where they played with callbacks and stuff like that. These people who have had prior experience working with asynchrony, uh, like when they get exposed to quarantines, it immediately clicks to them and they see how much it's better. It's easy and readable, uh, you know, code is obvious, you don't have to write this uh, callback mass, et cetera, et cetera. They are happy. But when a person without any prior um, asynchronous programming comes and tries to score it, uh, they find it hard. Uh, they don't understand what's going on. Uh, and I I attribute it not to the cartoons themselves, because cartoons is the simplest way to, to do asynchrony. I, uh, attributed to inherent complexity of asynchronous programming. So, I mean, to help these people, we should not be uh, concentrating on teaching them coroutines as we should uh, concentrate on explaining what asynchrony is 
and uh, you know, so they understand the synchrony. And when they understand the synchrony, then Cartesian's uh, complex and natural and this is solution to write asynchronous code. Of course, this is all around the coroutine stuff. Uh, but you mentioned other libraries that we've been also working on. In, in particular, serialization is something that you've been working on for a number of years, right? or at least it's been a year, a little bit more, right? Uh, what What is the state of that in terms of release? Uh, release is still still far away. Uh, we're, we're right now. We kind of expanded scope. We support all backends, so it's truly really, it started like this JVM only project and was in this state for quite a while. Uh, but then we've expanded, so now you can serialize uh, anything in JavaScript, you know, uh, JS and, and native. Uh, we're still ironing in API. So spending lots of time on design, cleaning up use cases, uh, you know, various corner cases. I, I can't promise anything in terms of release, uh, but what I can say, it's really high on our priority list. We really want to finish it uh, uh, in, in a reasonable time. As finishing, actually make it to 1.0, where you can say this is the civilization like we're going uh, to support. So, so far, again, uh, feedback seems positive, and so far, uh, there's no like discussions of not doing it. So I mean, we are on the track to 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 get it to release. But and you said that serialization is also supported for Kotlin native. Yes. Okay. And and for those not familiar, what type of protocols are you currently supporting? So you're supporting JSON and what else? Uh, so right now, out of the box, uh, we support JSON and Protobuf. That's uh, two protocols that get out of the box support from us. Uh, we also thinking about adding XML as kind of a built-in package. So uh, probably that will be the, the three core protocols that will support. Uh, but the design itself is flexible in the sense that uh, anyone as an external library can uh, write their own implementation of their own protocols. And some people are contributing, like we just got YAML contribu contribution recently. Uh, well, basically, person said, here's my external library that supports YAML. Uh, while writing those own serialization is somewhat harder than just using serialization. Uh, and the API for writing that is still evolves a bit. That's, that's part of design we want to finalize. But the idea is that once we hit 1.0 and finalize all the API, uh, we, we, there's no plan that we'll be providing like, all the protocols in the world. So we'll support this core set of basic protocols. And anyone can have a library of uh, supporting uh, my uh, great protocol X. And the great thing about that is that you can write this library in pure Kotlin using Kotlin serialization and get this protocol support on any platform, native JavaScript or uh, uh, GVM. Well, I mean, one of the questions I was going to ask you is why would I, like if I'm using the JVM, okay, and I'm not doing multi-platform, why would I use Kotlin serialization over some of the other libraries that exist? So there are, uh, there are pros and cons. So let me let me tell you. The advantage of Kotlin serialization over GVM-based libraries that it natively works with Kotlin types. It supports like uh, Kotlin, key Kotlin features like nullability, like built-in. It won't let you visualize like null into non-nullable fields. Uh, it supports uh, default mm, parameters to properties. So you can make it optional and we'll get initialized with whatever default you write. Uh, and 
it also supports like Kotlin type system. It knows like if you have a list of uh, your data classes, that's uh, statically known to be a list of data. You don't need any dynamic type of information when reading or writing this list for each of your uh, data classes. So, I mean, in the general design of Kotlin serialization is it's focused on security and static typing in the sense that if you want any kind of dynamic class loading or any kind of polymorphism, you have to obtain it. It's like not on by default. So by default, it's completely secure. It only reads, cla writes classes that are explicitly annotated, serializable, it only reads uh, like then with complete 100% type safety. Um, there's no like read any class from my class pass like it happens with many other civilization frameworks. So that's advantages. Uh, there are of course downsides. Downsides of course, we are, there's no plan to support every conceivable feature of other civilization formats in Kotlin civilization. So you might find yourself in a situation where you know some other JVM library has this Baroque feature that you're using and it's not supported by Kotlin civilization. Some weird mapping between classes, etc. cetera. Uh, but even though if it's not supported out of the box, I mean, we're keeping our APIs flexible enough so you can implement yourself if you really need to because you want to use Kotlin civilization because of its other advantages. One of the disadvantages, I was going to say, in a, in a sense, is that it required a plugin, but that's no longer required, right? Because now uh, the Kotlin plugin itself has support for it, yeah? Yeah, I, yeah. So we now, I mean, it's, it still requires a plugin. The difference is that we now bundle plugin with compiler. So we used to have this version compatibility problems like, uh, like you have to use this version with this specific compiler version. Now the civilization library, though it's experimental, not released yet, is bundled into Kotlin compiler. So it's much, you don't run into this compatibility problems because Kotlin compiler itself and civilization. Uh, and so this makes the whole process of using this much smoother now. Like it's supported in ID, it's easier to, to get support in build script because Plugins bundled, and why the need for it? Like, why would you need the this uh, this plugin? Uh, so, because uh, see again, that's that's terms from basically two requirements we have. One is multi because multi platform, and uh, in multi platform, it's also only GVM where you have uh, reflection. N neither GS nor native uh, supports reflection, and there are no near term plans to support reflection there. Uh, for the purposes of performance, because re supporting reflection in its general form in runtime or in a language adds a lot of weight to it. That's one of the reasons like GVM applications can never be small. Like they're always pretty big, even whatever you do to minimize them, just because GVM has to support reflection in order for all your nice GVM frameworks to work. Uh, so, but in JS and native, we want to keep it small. So we don't support reflection, and then we can do serialization the usual way you do it, through reflection. We have to pre-compile all the serializers for all your classes, and that's what plugin does. And now because we do this for JSN and native, it also makes sense to do it on GVM. Uh, on GVM, we could have done it through reflection, but um, doing it ahead of time through plugin gives us faster startup and gives us uh, potentially more performance because um, uh, I mean, I mean, you could you could write reflection-based civilization framework on GVM that would create those classes on the fly, but that then again slows down the startup of your application. So here, because plugin pre-compiles those serializers for every class, uh, like you can immediately start writing and reading them. 
Now, speaking about actually Kotlin Native, and one of the things that I forgot to ask you regarding uh, coroutines, which often comes up, what is the status of coroutines targeting Kotlin Native? So in, in Native, uh, so the current memory model in Native is that, uh, you know, it's uh, more like uh, JavaScript style. So every, so you have this single threads and you have isolated workers that can only explicitly communicate between each other by um, sending immutable values. So in this world, uh, the way cartoons work, they also work uh, in, again, like in JavaScript. So if you have a UI application for iOS, for example, then in your main thread, uh, you can do coroutines, uh, you can communicate between them, no problems, but uh, the currently released version of proteins, you can't even create an event loop in any other thread. It, it's not it's not going to work in the with the version we have now. But that's going to change. So in the next upcoming release is going to be out really soon. Uh, you'll be able to have separate event loops in different threads on Kotlin Native and uh, uh, do any number of coroutines in those threads. Uh, however, if you want to communicate between uh, Coroutines running different threads. You'll still have to do this explicitly by freezing, you know, transferring objects. It's kind of hard now. Uh, it, it's something that we're working on to fix, uh, both in libraries team and in uh, Kotlin native team. Um, I, I can't give any details. It's still like more more research work of what we can do, uh, but we're definitely uh, working on on solving this particular problem to to make cross thread communication. Uh, in Kotlin native easier. But is the ultimate goal that me as a developer use the same uh, programming model and the same APIs independently of the platform I'm targeting? Or is there ultimately going to be some differences based on the specific platform in the case of Kotlin native? So the goal we have is for common code. So what we're trying to do is to make sure that uh, you can write Kotlin code that's and just compile it in different forms just works. It doesn't mean like it works the same on every platform, uh, but we so our goal is this: so we identified a number of patterns of how people actually write their code. Like for example, in mobile applications, the usual pattern is that you have this main thread where you do uh, like all UI stuff, and you like offload. Uh, some of your heavy CPU heavy computation in background you use with coroutines, you do with context, you know, uh, dispatcher's default or your own thread pool, and then you do some heavy computation there offloaded. And our goal is to support this kind of pattern on both GVM and native. So, I mean, it might use different mechanism behind this scenes, right? But the goal for you as an end developer, just write the code, run it, and it works. I mean, if you do something wrong, like if you run a true race or something like create a race in your code or do something like this, then it may fail in different ways. So we don't guarantee that wrong code behaves in the same way on different platforms. What we're trying to do is you follow like established patterns of writing this code, then it works the same way in different platforms. Okay, that, that I guess that's fair. Um, Okay, so now we've got the you know we 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 have covered kind of the coroutines and the state of that and and we've discussed serialization, but there's other things and this is something again that pops up like you know if I'm using, uh, if I'm doing if I'm targeting multi-platform, 
projects, I'm going to need a, a bunch of infrastructure code that you know is essentially I need it across the multiple platforms, which is the the idea behind having uh, multi-platform libraries, so to speak, right? And so some of the other things that uh, you're working on, what are these? I mean, are we working on, uh, you know, we, we, we spoke about having an API for dealing with files, uh, dealing with dates, dealing with logging. Are these things that should the community wait for, for JetBrains to deliver on? Or is this something that JetBrains is hoping the community will deliver on? How is that working? So the foundational staff that we mentioned, uh, like input output, uh, dates, logging, that's something we plan to work on. So we're actually starting work. We're actually already started work on input output stuff. And it's it has like version uh, 0.1 uh, and it's actually used internally in Kdor. And we're going to, you know, ramp, we are ramping up actually development on it to finalize it to bring it 1.0 release for all the input output primitives. Uh, we also starting to working on dates and times. That's something we understand on our plate, and uh, because that's so foundational, I mean, we can't expect this come out from community. Uh, and we also well, we haven't started yet, but we also plan to provide some, you know logging and other like really foundational libraries that everybody needs oh, but of course uh we expect from community to work on all the domain specific things and we're actually happy to see this already happening you know people working on data science library visualization library libraries like things like that some domain specific thing that they need for their domains and that's 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 great thing for community to take on yeah. And just recently, I was talking to Kevin Galligan, who's done a bunch of things around uh, multi-platform. And, and this topic came up, and I'd like to get your opinion on it as well, that one of the selling points of Kotlin has always been around the idea that you don't need to reinvent the wheel, right? You know, if you're talking to the JVM, we interrupt with the JVM. If you're talking to, if you're doing Kotlin native, we're going to interrupt with C. If you're doing JavaScript, we're going to interrupt with JavaScript. How much of this contradicts uh now people saying oh now i've got to wait for a, an ecosystem to flourish for me to do multi-platform do you see i mean i i don't but i would like to see your opinion on this do you see any kind of contradiction with this idea of leveraging and interrupting with existing things no i i they don't contradict but they do complement in the sense that whenever we're uh doing any multi-platform stuff uh, we uh, make sure that each piece on every implementation, every platform actually interrupts with uh, established practices. And this, like, this, like, look at how Kotlin, uh, Kotlin test works. It on GVM it works with uh, JUnit and TestNG. On uh, native it works. I, I some I, I don't know, f forgot what's the testing framework there. Uh, so, so some Google testing framework. On GS it interrupts with like all the major three uh, JavaScript testing uh, frameworks. And we are uh, using the same approach in all the foundational stuff we do, like uh, take a look at our data time work. We're definitely, when we start working on it, and that's one of our goals to make sure that whatever we do, whatever data time library we do uh, for Kotlin interrupts well uh, with uh, GVM world, take a look at files. So we have some sketches in the files area preliminary ideas and also one of the goals is to make sure it interrupts well 
with everything that you can do in GVM. And again, on native, it has to interrupt with all the C APIs. So, so it's not like we're reinventing the wheel. We're not rewriting things from scratch. We're just, when we're working on multi-platform libraries, we're mostly providing a glue, like this Kotlin API, to the things you can uh, already find on this platform. Right, so basically kind of in a similar way, would you say it's kind of like how people started to provide a Kotlin API to some very common JVM-based libraries, right? Yes, exactly. That's exactly what yeah. we're doing just on a more foundation level. I mean, in some places you have to add some machine layer. For example, in some platform, implementation may not exist, so it has to be implemented from scratch. But I mean, still the general idea is that uh, for those kind of foundational things, uh, we want to leverage as much as possible from the platform and interrupt with it. And talking about foundational things, one other one is, of course, HTTP uh, and namely HTTP clients. How is the status there? Because I know that that kind of falls under Ktor, right? Yes. So, I mean, it's it's become stable with Ktor uh, 1.0. The only thing that we're finishing up is uh, we're finishing up a full uh, multi-platform uh, support for WebSockets. So WebSockets, something still lacks. Uh, it's not, it doesn't work on all platforms. So that we're finishing up. Like HTTP client itself, uh, fully supported everywhere. Like you can use it Linux, Windows, you know, uh, Mac, uh, JavaScript, uh, GVM, Android, anything. And so again, it's not like the way it's written, it, it uses whatever underlying HTTP engines on those platforms. It's not a re-implementation of uh, HTTP stack, it's just a Kotlin-style API on top of existing platform HTTP engines. So kind of like, for example, on native, it's using libcurl, right? Yes, on native, it's using libcurl. On iOS, it's using whatever um, you know framework Apple has for HTTP. On GVM, it uses just HTTP URL connection. Right. On Android, you have actual choice between that and... Uh, uh, using uh, OK HTTP. All right. So, and the, and this is more or less ready now because I'm really going to need to use this at some point. So, well, it, is, it is ready. It is released and ready. So, feel, uh, uh, you're absolutely welcome to use it. Awesome. And so, what what else? I mean, other than the, the serialization and coroutines and, and all of these things that we've mentioned, there's also another thing that you've been working on, which is uh, Atomic Foo. Can you shortly explain what that is about? Uh, so that that's that was never actually supposed to be like. So we still we did not uh, release it in one point zero, and maybe not do it anytime future. So it's, we'll keep it experimental for a while because it's mostly for our own needs. And the reason is that when we write libraries for different platforms, so uh, especially in coroutines, so we need some. Sometimes we need some specialized uh, uh, concurrent algorithms for data structure that simply do not exist and. Uh, on GVM and uh, anywhere else, and and it's easier for us uh, instead of you know writing and writing those algorithms for different platforms is hard. Like you, you, it's hard writing the same code that, that uh, because comparison models are different on uh, GVM, JavaScript, and native. Uh, JavaScript doesn't have threads at all, and you know native has different approach, and GVM has its own approach. Uh, so uh, the 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 idea was that let's have this library that uh, you, lets you write uh, your code and your uh, concurrent log-free algorithms in a common code, and then just compile to different backends, and uh, then compiler does the right thing. 
And they actually, I mean, the reason we're not releasing it because it, it, it's not right now, it's not very convenient to use because it, like it uses, it, it's not even a compiler plugin. It's like post-processing step that actually takes compiled code and tweaks it. Uh, so it has like a bunch of this weird limitations of what you can and cannot do. And it's okay for our use where we understand them, but it's not this okay for a wider public. And again, it is designed for people who write really low level stuff, like, you know, this lock free, really fast, like queue that we need for hurricane scheduler. And uh, so it's really designed for people like that's like experts in this area. So, so they're like, who are willing to take this additional complications of, you know, all these limitations and stuff, who understand them, but it's not really targeted to general public. I see, that makes sense. How many are you now on the Kotlin uh, libraries team? Uh, we're still a small team, uh, so there are like like six 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 people um, working right now uh, on libraries. We're expanding though, so so we're hiring more. Uh, and again, because we want to do more, so we have actually lots of on our plate uh, things that we potentially want to do. Uh, so we not only want need to support everything that we already released, uh, we also want uh, to uh, to start new things. And is there I mean, I know that you know we, we already spoke about uh, this is something that the the Kotlin team should be providing. But I mean, all of this is open source. Is there room for like the equivalent of lo like low hanging fruits that people from the community could contribute to help build these libraries up? Well, there are lots of. Um, I mean, the 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 best contributions that that I mean from our experience, the best help we get from community is. Uh, in identification of their use cases and showing us their like corner cases or something doesn't work for them and explaining what's the use case. That actually helps a lot. This also helps when people, uh, you know, implement, there's in every, in every project we're working on, so we'll all work on them in open, they're all on GitHub. And like, if you look at the issues, there's always some small issues that up for grabs that any, anyone can do. So we're also happy when people take them and, you know, implement them or fix bugs. You know, uh, there may be some weird bugs uh, sitting around for a while because we don't have time to fix them. And it's really helpful when people pick them and, you know, help us with them. Yeah. And all of this is falling under the Kotlin X uh, organization on GitHub, or is is there going to be some things under uh, you know Kotlin or JetBrains, or how how is this going to be organized? So okay, let, let me explain. So so first of all, like there's an elephant in the room that we forgot about, and the elephant in is a standard library which we're also working on. It's also take um, you know, it's also our team works on, uh, and there's lots of work in standard library itself, like uh, missing collection APIs. And stuff like this and like various utilities that really really fundamental to any kind of program that you write but we are trying to keep the standard library small one of the reason to keep it small because Kotlin is so so multi-platform now uh like there's really not that much apis that really matter everywhere like even to get things basic things like files uh you might think files are everyone needs them but not like on javascript there are no files so like File API doesn't make sense in JavaScript. So, so, so the the plan is then to keep standard library 
focused only on those really core things like collections, you know, text processing, things like that, like really every application deals with, and uh, keep other things as a separate libraries that, and to distinguish them from standard library or that comes bundled with Kotlin, we call them Kotlin X. That just, you know, that just makes it easier for distinguish. However, they're still maintained by JetBrains and we actually plan ultimately to integrate all the documentation, learning resources right into the main Kotlin site. So on GitHub, CottonX libraries live in Kotlin organization, GitHub slash Kotlin, um, and they will ultimately be merged on the main kotlinlang.org website in terms of you know API reference, uh, tutorials, etc. Because they're also maintained by JetBrains, so it doesn't make sense to keep differences. The only different separate uh, organization we have is for Kato. And Kator is umbrella for all the connected stuff, HTTP and around it. And it's a huge chunk of interrelated libraries, basically. HTTP client, HTTP server, uh, and all the other HTTP-based protocols, WebSocket and stuff like that. And that has its own separate organization because of sheer size of it, sheer number of things. So uh, to clearly separate it, like here's the language and here is, because Kator is, even though we like to call it a library, it's more like a short framework. So it's like this. Right. But I mean, wouldn't that be a little bit confusing for someone to know to, I mean, not knowing that, okay, Ktor is where I get the cross-platform library for HTTP connections, whereas Kotlin X is where I would find it for dealing with files or logging. Yeah, it is. I mean, I mean, it might be confusing, I, uh, in, but we didn't find any other good way to work on it. So we could have, you know, picked uh, HTTP stuff out of Kator and integrated it into, you know, st even standard library or a separate Kotlin library. But the problem is it's so interconnected, like all the HTTP APIs, uh, they're so, and we really want to have the seamless experience, especially for microservices. So when you have a microservice that receives HTTP request and then send HTTP, uh, HTTP request to some other service. We want all the APIs to be the same so you don't have to learn many concepts. So because right now in modern world, the problem you have this one server API, different client API. Now you have to mix and manage those uh, different header formats, you know, different, like it's too much stuff you have to keep in mind. We want to simplify learning curve actually by by keeping the using the same API across the board, but it, this basically forces us, our hand uh, to keep it separately. So we can, you know, you know, evolve it all together, all the all the things. But from the figuring out w what's where, again, CotlinLink.org should definitely list all those resources. Should have provide you this overview, like if you need this, go here. If you need that, go here. That's something will be definitely added. Way over time because it's always awesome chatting with you, Roman. So thanks again for coming on and. Uh, all the best of luck with the very, you know, big projects that you've got ahead with delivering on all of this. So I do wish you the best of luck on that because a lot of people are waiting for it. Thanks so much.